Welcome to the Mothers of Misfits podcast. Join me for conversations about how to advocate for our kids in a one-size-fits-all world. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. We're going to have an awesome conversation today with Ty Kruger. He has a master's degree in applied behavior analysis, and he's a board-certified behavior analyst. Ty and his wife, Hillary, founded the Behavior Change Collective. They combined the science of behavior change with their personal parenting experience to reduce the chaos and increase the joy in families, which we all want. Thanks for coming on, Ty. Hey, Emily. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really stoked to be here. Oh, I'm so glad you're here because you have such an interesting perspective that's very well informed. As I just read, you have uh, an incredible academic background and also a lot of experience in the field with families. So I want to ask you, how did you even get into all of this? Why are you passionate about helping parents best manage their kids' behavior? Well, I think it all starts with my mom. She was a special ed teacher in the Milwaukee Public School District for over 35 years. And I just remember growing up in her classroom and helping out the kids and just being around you know, kids of all different types of backgrounds and types of disabilities or abilities that she likes to say. Um, so the need to, to help and serve has, has been instilled in me since I can remember. Um, additionally, I have one sister, one sibling who's my sister, and, and she was born uh, with a traumatic brain injury where she uh, suffered some anoxia at birth. And uh, she really is doing awesome. She's amazing. She graduated high school and then college at Whitewater in Wisconsin wow. here and now has gone on uh, to work in public school herself as a paraprofessional. But but just seeing the challenges that she has gone through and the, the amazing work that the professionals have done uh, to get her to where she is, that really just drove me to to want to dive into the field. So, I mean, that's kind of where it all started and uh, where it helped me land on behavioral analysis Especially, it was really just luck. I went to school to play football at St. Cloud State University, and it happened to be one of the only colleges in Minnesota that has a master's program in behavioral analysis. Uh, so when I started school, I wanted to be a pharmacist because I wanted to drive the nicest car in the Walgreens parking lot, as uh, my mom always used to say. <laughs> but, uh, but I ran into some trouble when I found uh, you know advanced physics and chemistry and calculus, and, and I quickly discovered that Working with people in psychology was uh, the, the better route for me. So I stumbled into the behavioral analysis program, started working as a graduate assistant, fell in love working in schools and working with kids on the spectrum, the autism spectrum and behavior with behavior challenges and really saw my path align where my mom, you know, her past and her passion combined with, with my ability to, to serve in that unique way. Um, and then the rest is history. I got my master's degree and have been working in the field for about 10 years since. Well, as they say, as one door closes, another door opens. And thank goodness for it, because this clearly yeah. is what you were meant to do. Uh, we didn't need another uh, Walgreens nice car driving pharmacist, not to take away from the good work that they do. But I can tell this yeah. is your sweet spot. Mm -hmm. You say that corporal punishment and timeouts don't work. Can you mm -hmm. talk more about that? Yeah, most definitely. So... When, you know, through my, my about decade of experience, I've, I've ran into every situation of, of parenting and, 
and definitely even in education, uh, where it's so easy for us to be reactive. It's so easy for us to just go through our day. And then when, when kids mess up or when people mess up, you know, we're just going to lay the hammer down and punish. And that's easy. It's reactive. It doesn't take much effort. And the problem with that is, is it's a trap. And I call it a trap because it does work right away. And so, for example, if, if my, I have a two and a half year old, he's my youngest currently, he's running around the house and, and dumping soap all over the floor like he was yesterday. And I yell at him. I'm like, yeah, I know. So I yell at him. I'm like, hey, stop. You know, you need to not do that. Blah, blah, blah. And I start laying into him. He'll, he'll definitely stop the first time because I startled him. And ultimately, uh, corporal punishment or just any sort of like aggressive punishment, whether it be a reprimand or even like a spanking or something like that, it'll scare a kid at first. Uh, and so you as a parent, you're like, oh, this is a great technique. It works to discipline my child. They stop doing whatever it was that I didn't want them to do. The problem lies in the scientific principle actually called habituation. And this has been a well-researched principle all the way back through, you know, the 60s where they started with animal models and then they expanded on to, to humans. But basically the concept is as people experience more and more punishment, as you yell at someone, yes, you might get startled the first time or scared. But the second time or the third time or the fourth time, it's not as scary. I mean, think back to your favorite scary movie you watch and you're jumping at every turn. Well, the second time you watch it, maybe not so scared, right? And then the third time you watch it, it might actually be funny to you because you know what's coming and, and you're just almost like amazed that this person is trying to be super scary to you and you're not scared anymore. So oftentimes I see that pattern where behavior is very effective. It's a very effective way to handle behavior at first, but then what ends up happening over the course of time is it becomes less and less effective. And then ultimately it becomes not effective at all. And now parents are left, you know, with hoarse voices or even worse, kids are left, you know, being corporately punished to the point of abuse because behavior is not changing and the intensity needs to keep rising. So it's a long explanation for, for a short statement, but it's an excellent question because it works at first, but it's a trap because it's not going to work over the long time. I've never thought about it that way, but as you explain it, it makes complete sense that it the, the approach loses its potency. So you have to keep upping the ante, which, you know, parents certainly don't want to do that. And it just adds to that chaos and tension and stress in the household. And that yeah. it's, it's this vicious cycle, right? Because then your kids are feeding off of that tension and their behavior, I'm sure, is worsening. And yeah. I bet, though, a lot of parents listening can identify with that craziness that unfortunately, oftentimes it devolves into like you started out with, we're tired, we're just right. wanting good behavior. And sometimes we don't you know, really know or choose the, the best way of dealing with it. Not realizing, because for many of us, that was how we were raised. And totally. yeah. that's how we learned to do it. So I'm sure what you say is different to some and refreshing to a lot of folks. Yeah. When we, when we first spoke, you said something to me, which is behavior is behavior. Mm -hmm. What do you mean by that? Yeah. So I think that's, that's, uh, one of my favorite things. And, and it ultimately helps us to change our mindset because a lot of the work that, that I tend to do first with, with families when I work with them one on one or with a school consult is you got to change the mindset that 
you know, these kids aren't bad kids. You know, your spouse isn't a bad spouse. Your employee isn't a bad employee. They're just behaving in a way that works for them. And it might be because that's what they were taught. And that's the easiest way for them in the past to get what they want. Even going back to the corporal punishment piece, he said, hey, you know, that's what my mom did. And ultimately, too, if we are the ones as parents yelling at our kids, hitting them or spanking them or giving them, you know, punishment after punishment, we're actually showing them, showing our kids that, hey, when someone doesn't listen to you or when someone doesn't agree with you, instead of working with them, talking with them, teaching them, we're just going to try to bulldoze them with force. And it's a vicious cycle because that is something that then will start to show in their, their own children. Their own children will start to behave with that way with their friends, with their teachers, with their coaches. And it's tricky. So the first mindset shift is realizing behavior is behavior. These aren't bad kids. They're not doing it because they don't respect you. They're not doing it because they don't listen to you or they don't like you. They're doing it because it's helping them get what they want and what they need in the only way that they've been shown. Yeah, in my work with people of all ages, I often talk about the same exact thing. My my perspective is a little different from from the approach that I take, but it's there's so many times that there are disconnects or problems between people and we are quick to jump to an emotional cause, right? You're doing it to me. He doesn't care about me. He doesn't respect me. And to your point, oftentimes it really may not be that at all. But when we jump to that emotional um, motivation behind it, uh, that you know personal assault, that definitely escalates the whole situation and often takes it to a whole other place that's more difficult to to resolve. Totally, yeah. I mean, there's there's no answer when when you you have the the cause right being just because they don't like me or because they're a bad kid or because they, you know, unfortunately I hear this a lot of times. It's because they have ADHD. It's because they're autistic. This is why they're behaving that way. It's like, okay, that might not be false, but that's not helping us find any solution. That's not helping us learn how to teach, how to change our own behavior, how to change their behavior in the future. It's just kind of the throw your hands up. Well, let's just give them medication or let's just, you know, use this punishment or it is just how it is. And so I agree with you that when you, when you let emotion creep in and you let it start to affect the way that you look at things, uh, you're, you're in a, you're kind of in a tough spot and you're not really in the spot to, to make a change. Absolutely. And we have to be careful about the labels we use with our kids. Mm-hmm. Totally. Do you see labels hurting kids and how they see themselves and their self-worth? That's a really good question. And I think just like everything, there's, there's a positive side to it and there's, there can be a negative side to it. Uh, the positive side of a diagnosis or of a label is it can, you know, secure services. Yeah. So for us, it can secure services in the standpoint of wanting to work with a behavior analyst like myself. So currently in the, in the typical medical model, which, which as you know, Emily, I've, I've left that over the last year, but I did that work for about eight years. The only way a, a child can receive, you know, services from a behavior analyst is if, you know, they have either autism or they have some other behavioral condition that 
their insurance company or the state Medicaid system will then pay for. Um, so, so traditionally, that has been the main reason for a diagnosis. Um, then there's the other side where if you look at like ADHD and, you know, anxiety and depression, medications can now come in. Other sorts of professionals, such as counselors, um, or other types of, you know, psychologists or psychiatrists, those can also come into the picture with that diagnosis. Without that diagnosis, it's really tough for, for those children, especially to receive those services. And as we know, early intervention is key, especially for language development and behavior um, reform or, or, or help, you know, in that way. And a, lot, and a lot of times those two are very married, if not on the same path. You know, if the kid can't communicate, their behaviors are going to be worse. It's just how it goes. So early intervention is key uh, and diagnosis is definitely a part of early intervention. Um, now, the downside of it can be if that child themselves start to take on that diagnosis as their identity. Well, I can't do this because I'm autistic. I can't pay attention because I have ADHD. You know, I can't go to that new soccer camp because I have anxiety. And once they start labeling and identifying themselves as only that label, um, that can be really, really damaging, of course. Yeah. And so I've even tried to be so careful and try to teach people that we never call it, we never label a child. Oh, that, that, that child is autistic or that's an autistic child. You would, you would say that child has a diagnosis of autism spectrum disorder, but that's only a small piece of, of who they are as an individual. Oh, I love that. That's so mm-hmm. important. I, I have mm-hmm. even personally coached young people who have really internalized their diagnosis in the way that you just talked about, and it becomes their identity, and they feel lesser because of it, and they feel limited because of it. And it's very sad mm-hmm. to see that. And, and of course, no one intended for that to happen. But it, it's very difficult also to bring them back out of that. Mm-hmm. So, Ty, you are a big advocate for fitness. And yeah, I know you yeah. incorporate that heavily into your programs and the work that you do. What does physical activity have to do with behavior? Yeah, so that's that's an awesome question. and. Um, you know, one that I can just start with my own story. So, you know, we've been in quarantine and, um, I do, I do own part of a gym and I have three children. So we've been able to have our gym back open for about two weeks now in Wisconsin, but I haven't been able to go because I'm watching my, my children, you know, full time, basically at three. So I couldn't bring them in and, and so I couldn't go there. And over the past two or three days, my attention span has been short. I've been eating more poorly. I've been really just on edge and more easily agitated. Uh, I haven't been as creative. I haven't really been putting out content. And so it, it's so clear to me the connection because then today was the first day uh, that we were allowing kids back in. So, so even this morning, I was able to jump into the gym. And now, you know, I just have this renewed sense of, of passion, purpose. Uh, I can... You know, on this podcast, I'm able to find my words, whereas we, if we did this yesterday, I'm not sure if I would have been as good. <laughs> um, and so it's so, it's so closely connected because when, when we move the blood in their body and when we exercise, especially at a higher intensity with a heart rate, you know, above 130, 140 beats per minute, we, we tend to release, you know, some of these really good feel good chemicals, you know, norepinephrine, dopamine, serotonin. So all of these chemicals that we know to control our mood and stabilize 
our body and runs so many functions in our brain are connected to activity. And if we don't move, then we're not accessing any of that. And then things start to kind of just slow down, shut down, and things go into just maintenance mode. And it's not a good place to be. That reminds me of a strategy that I share with families during the school year, which is to have your kids come home from school and do 30 minutes to an hour of physical activity. I know a lot of parents who feel it's best to have their kids, you know, come right home and get their homework done. And that makes total sense in, you know, the way of let's just get it done, get it over with. But the reality is those kids have probably sat for a lot of their day and they haven't gotten the benefit that you just talked about. And when school starts really early, it's, it's not like they're getting physical activity prior to school. So I find it is a big game changer just to give them that release that um, time to to be physical, get all that energy out. And then they're even better coming back after the fact and getting their work done or getting their chores done. And to your point, their behavior is better too. Yeah. I mean, stress, it's proven. I mean, stress is down and kids are more open to listening and their attention's better. And all that equals behavior because if you have better, better ability to attend and you're in a better mood, well, then when I say, hey, it's time to do homework or it's time to pick up your room, you're not going to give me behavior. So, you know, the behavior is just kind of like the output, but the input is the activity and then whatever demand or task that we're asking them to do. And so their body and brain is primed to make better choices and to go through it in a better state than if they hadn't, right? So, so you're, you're 100% right. I mean, it's, it's so closely connected. And, and I tend to say that I try not to have kids or myself even go for longer than 90 minutes to two hours without some sort of, without some sort of movement, you know, and, and that can, doesn't mean necessarily we got to, you know, do, you know, a hard workout every, every 90 minutes, but maybe it's, Hey, get up and walk around your house, go for a walk around your block, want a bike ride, play soccer in the backyard, jump on the trampoline. You know, there's a hundred options out there, depending on whatever your, your mode of entertainment is for movement. But, uh, if you can go, if you start going longer than those two hours, you can start to see some of those effects that I find that's actually one of the advantages of most of us spending our time at home all day at mm-hmm. home nowadays is that yeah. we can, we, we know, we don't have the commute time and we are at home. And so we can, you know, in between meetings, take a little walk around the block and we yeah. can run outside with our kids for a few minutes and in between homeschooling, mm-hmm. they can go jump on the trampoline. I really have enjoyed that part that we're not sort of mm-hmm. stuck in the cubicle, at least from the adult perspective, and that kids aren't stuck in their uh, desk chair all day. And that that really has been yep. nice. It'd be neat to see the impact of that and our clarity and on our abilities. I know for those that innately need to move around and be physical and change space, it's been a huge game yeah. changer. Totally. What are three simple things that parents can implement today to bring more peace and joy to their home? Great question. So number one, I think is sit down with your partner or if you're by yourself, just sit down with yourself and write out what are the expectations that I have in my family? What are the house rules, the team rules? What expectations are important to us? Because if we don't know where we're going and if we don't know really what we expect, kids 
are going to be left to make their own choices on what is expected or not. And that's really difficult. And I think it sets up the, the whole house uh, from a positive standpoint. Because if you have positive expectations, then we have something to live up to. Instead of saying, hey, don't hit, don't yell, don't do this. We're going to say, hey, instead of yelling, we're going to use our words to discuss our differences. We are going to participate in some sort of physical activity. We're going to keep our, our rooms nice and tidy by picking up after ourselves every day. And kind of building those expectations instead of coming at it reactively, that's number one. Number two is, yeah, I would say number two is having everybody now on the same page. So after you write those expectations down, call a little family meeting and say, hey guys, we're all on the same team here. You know, we're all together in this journey, especially when we were quarantined. <laughs> we're more together than ever. So yeah, let's, <laughs> yeah. So, so let's all sign on this quote unquote family contract that, hey, we're all going to live, try to live up to these expectations. And in that family meeting, the kids can even continue. What are your expectations as children? What do they want from you? What do they need from you to be happy and to bring that joint to the house? So we're all going to get on that same page. We're all going to do some of that stuff. And then I would say the third most important thing is always try to have more positive interactions than negative interactions in regards to those expectations. So my favorite analogy is that was what I call the behavior bank account. So just like your behavior, just like your bank account at, at your local credit union, your local bank, you want to have a positive balance. And every time I put a check in the bank, it increases that balance. And then I withdraw when I need things. Same thing with your children. Every time you have a positive interaction with your child, whether that's you praise them for picking up their room when they wake up, you praise them for playing with their little brother instead of being mean to him. Those are all the positive. And then when you need to deliver some corrective action, you know, when you, when you need to tell them to change their behavior, you have that line of credit or you have that account balance that you can withdraw from. But if we start to go into the negative, if we start correcting more behavior than we are praising, if we start to punish more than we're rewarding, we're going to be overdrawn in that behavior bank account and behavior is going to start to show itself up more often because of it. What would you say to someone listening who says, Ty, that sounds great, but my kids aren't two anymore. They're eight and mm-hmm. 10 and 12. And I yeah. didn't start this way. How can mm-hmm. I change it now? Totally. And, you know, I was, it would come back maybe only to where we started this conversation and say, behavior is behavior. You know, everybody behaves. A two-year-old behaves. An eight-year-old behaves. You know, my, I myself, 34-year-old behaves. A six-year-old behaves. So behavior is a, it is a piece of the environment. And so if you change the environment, you're going to change behavior. And if you start interacting now, what I, the positive deposit in my behavior bank account that I give to my two and a half year old is a lot different than what I give to my eight year old. So for my little guy, I would say, you know, Hey buddy, like, how are you? And I'd maybe rough out with him and play with him. Whereas with my eight year old, maybe that's me going out into the backyard and playing soccer with her or just spending some quality time with her or just asking her how her day's going or just talking with her. Um, sometimes just presence being there is enough to start to, to start to turn the tides. Cause I feel like all too often we look for easy, quick fixes when in reality, we just need to sometimes slow down, spend a little more time with our children and then pay attention to what they're either liking or doing or having issues with 
And that will give us a little bit of, you know, a little bit of mindfulness technique in there, but, you know, it'll allow us to have some clarity on potentially what's going on. What I'm really gathering from this conversation is it is never too late and positive interactions. You nailed it. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if folks want to get in touch with you, how can they do that? Yeah, most definitely. So I would, the easiest way is to head over to our socials so you can find us at Behavior Change Collective on Instagram, Behavior Change Collective on Facebook. Those are our public pages. We also have a free parent Facebook page called the Behavior Change Collective Parents. They can ask to just search that, join it in. And in that little community, we've done Facebook Lives and parents are just really like a nice source where they all come together and ask questions. Um, additionally, you can head over to our website, behaviorchangecollective.com. There you can find all the lists of we have digital courses. And then I also do one-on-one coaching with families. So you can find those resources there at that website. That's awesome. I hope everyone takes advantage of those, particularly that Facebook group. That sounds great. Community is so important. You know, it does take a village yeah. to raise a child. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, nowadays our villages are turning more virtual. So that's great. We have those resources. I am so glad you came on the Mothers of Misfits podcast, Ty. Really appreciate all the advice you had to share today. Thanks again. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Mothers of Misfits podcast. Make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. We also invite you to visit us at mothersofmisfits.com.